Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Creative Endeavor podcast. In this episode, I've got another special guest for you. I'm often asked by people through either my website or via email or through social media about dealing with galleries. And if you've been listening for a while or been watching my channel for a little while, you'll know I give galleries a pretty hard time. Now, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm difficult to work with. Maybe I've got a bad attitude even. But I've only ever found one gallery that I could work with. And when I say work with, I mean have a lasting, long-standing business relationship with a gallery. There was one gallery based in Perth in Western Australia where I had an over a decade run of fantastic sales. This gallery, my agents, my dear friends were able to help me build a career and forge a name within the Western Australian market. Now, a cornerstone of my success was my agent, Colin Dixon. Now, Colin handled the business side of things. He taught me so much, and I regard him as one of my mentors, helping me craft my approach to my art business. I'll never forget the lessons that he taught to me as I was developing as an artist. Now, in the years since, Colin has retired and sold his gallery to some others who have kept it going and kept the legacy alive. I wanted to reach out to Colin, have him as a guest on the podcast, and ask him about not only some of the things that worked when we were working together, but where he learned all this stuff, maybe a little bit about his background, his past, and some of his strategies for running a successful gallery. I thought this would be a really unique opportunity to ask some questions from the artist's perspective to an agent or a dealer, and maybe even get some more insight on how we can go about forging better relationships with galleries. This was a really illuminating conversation. I certainly enjoyed it very much. I hope you will too. Without further ado, this is The Creative Endeavor. Colin Dixon, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Finally, welcome, sir. Why don't we just kick things off here and maybe you could tell us a little bit about maybe our background, about how we know each other, how we came to meet uh, from your point of view. And uh, we'll get into a little bit of your personal story as well. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Andrew, has been. we've been talking about this for a long time. I remember you saying, I want to do this. This was probably a couple of what, several years ago and here we are <laughs> I, i'm just a bit annoyed and i'm number 12 down the list but don't worry about that you know we won't hold that against you <laughs> but no it's lovely to be here and um i'm glad we can do this and um ah oh, it's great it's great to have a chat with you <laughs> because we don't get that as often as we used to That's um, right. as uh I mean, our relationship went much further than agent and artist. It was uh, really deep down friendship and, um, you know, having meals together, visiting each other's homes. It's, it was a, it's just part of a wonderful life and part of the wonderful life we've had in Australia. So um, all these things are 
very important and um, we hold them in in very great esteem and it's lovely to to know you and Rachel and of course when I say that as well from my point of view it's not just me uh, my gorgeous wife who's also an artist um, gay um, it's it's lovely to be able to have this relationship and we've got so much in common mm. um, having said that uh, as we'll talk about a little bit about my background and stuff that's okay but I until I came to Australia um, the only connection I had with art was I had married an artist, and that was it. <laughs> That's my connection. But um, what actually happened was, having opened an art gallery here in Perth, in Western Australia, um, we were new. We were new at it. The gallery was new. Um, in fact, when we look back, especially at the photographs, when we looked at the selection of artwork we had on our wall at that time, um, I really shudder and embarrassed by some of the things we had and, and certainly a lot of the gaps that we had. So it was, uh, we, were, we were on the, we were establishing ourselves. And, um, and as it happened, um, part of our, we weren't just a gallery, we also did a bit of framing. So, and we had actually framed a picture for one of our customers, in fact, it was my insurance agent, who came in and he said, uh, here, it's some work for you, Colin, and um, put down this rather magnificent piece of artwork of uh, water and rocks and sand. And we said, wow, that's quite something. I said, you know, where, where, where did you get this from? He said, oh, we just bought it up at Heathcote. There's a couple of young artists up there with a show on, and we rather fancied this one. So both Gay and myself looked at it and said, yeah, that's not bad at all. So we framed it, and uh, he was happy, we were happy, and time ticked on a little while, and just one day in the gallery, door opens, and in comes this young lad with his hat on, peaked backwards, baggy trousers, loose top jersey, with a plastic folder under his arm, looking down at his feet because he couldn't look me in the eyes. And I looked at him and I said, hi there, can I help you? What can I do for you? And he said, uh, I, I, uh, I brought my some artwork. Can I show you? So um, that's not quite the way one should go about it. And I learned about that. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. We didn't quite um, think that that was the right way. But we, we were then desperate for artists. And here was one walk through our door, uninvited. So he said, yeah, let's have a look. So plonk down the plastic, open it, and what is the first one there but the picture we've just framed for the insurance agent? And we looked at him and we said, we know this picture. And you looked at me as if say, well, but it's mine. And, you know, I think he thought we were going to, you know, say, have you copied this? <laughs> he said, yeah, it's mine. I said, well, well done. Let's have a look. Suddenly there was this great interest. Yeah. And that was a lovely trigger. And, and of course, that, that is the first lesson to be learned about. You know, you've got to have a trigger. Whatever you do in life has got to be kick-started. It, yeah. it doesn't do it by itself. You think it does, but it doesn't. No. There's always something that kick-starts it. So, and that was it. And when we flicked through your, the portfolio you had, um, I mean, this, this is going back to 2004, mm. um, a long time ago. I mean, that's 15 years ago. And... Mm. Uh, so, you know, we looked at it and saw the potential. And 
So when we're looking through the file there and say Gay is a qualified high school art teacher uh, and a lot more experience and, and certainly technical knowledge than I have um, about art. So she was able to be very constructive and, uh, and, and seeing where there was room for improvement. And, um, and but at the same time, we both appreciated that we were looking at potentially some exceptionally good work and especially from you. So that was the beginning of a, a long and very happy association. Uh, and well, that was how we met and now become extremely good friends. And uh, there we go. And now here we're talking about history. It's amazing, isn't it? We, we both yeah. look a bit older, Andrew. Well, a um, little, little bit, a little bit. I do. <laughs> <laughs> And don't die. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, it's, I, at first, I must admit, I was a little bit embarrassed by that. This is how you should not go about it. But I, I'm glad, <laughs> I'm certainly glad that you gave me the chance and you gave me the opportunity. Because I, when I did come to you, um, I was incredibly nervous. But I'd also just come off the back of being rejected by everybody that I had, I had approached previously. And so it, it was it was after kind of picking myself up again that I just, maybe, maybe someone's going to give me a chance. But I will say that after you did give me that chance, and, and even though you and Gay, uh, when you opened this gallery, were new, new to it at that time, um, you ended up having one of these runs with the gallery, like over a decade of thriving within the market. And even towards the end where Everybody else in the marketplace in Western Australia, galleries were closing left, right, and center. Yet here you are, the establishment's still thriving. And not only that, you sold it. While there was this massive downturn, you sold it as a going concern. And now you're, you're out of it now. You guys are both happily enjoying your retirement. But, but I think that's just testament to what a fabulous job you both did creating this thing and, and, and really giving it legs and then sending it off running. Well, thanks for that. That's a great compliment. Um, yeah, I, I, I think a lot of this, this is background, you know, mm. it's, um, personality, everything that like this comes in. Um, there are a lot of people, a lot of square pegs and round holes. People often get into businesses that they should never be in, but having got them there, They've got to make a go of it. And that shines through. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a secondhand car dealer or a plumber or whatever. Um, you, you've got to be happy. And, and, and even if you're unfamiliar with the area you're going into, you've got to make it. You, you've got to make it work. And, and I think that's the way we looked at it. But just going back a little bit on history about why we were there. I mean, we, we are from Zimbabwe. Um, I don't know how you would like me to go back a little bit further about Take where us I come back from? to Yeah, look, this is yeah. perfect because I, I want to hear about your background. And I do also want to get into the nitty gritty of, of the gallery, you know, and, and how that works. And also maybe some advice for artists who want to get into galleries. We can do that later on in the conversation. But sure. why, not, why not right now? Let's go back to giving us a little bit of background to you before you actually found yourself owning this, this fantastic gallery in Applecross, you know, a bit, bit more about your personal story. Okay. Well, to start off, I was born. Great. 
Good place to start. <laughs> Good place to start. In fact, several years ago in um, 18. Late... Uh, <clears throat> no, but it had a four in it after the nine. Um, okay. In fact, your dad and your dad and I are uh, like something like two weeks apart in our in our age group. So, I think so. Tom, Tom and I, uh, we are great. Uh, we're good Pisces people. <laughs> born in March. But I, I was born in the UK in a place called Hillingdon, which is just outside um, London and virtually on the main runway now of Heathrow uh, Airport. Um, and in 1958, uh, my parents decided we were immigrating, <laughs> as you did after the war. There was depression and there was family already in Rhodesia, as it was Zimbabwe was previous name when it was still colonial. Uh, so we moved to Rhodesia. That was in 1958. And that's where uh, I was at the age of 10. And um, I completed my education, which wasn't anything too salubrious because I got my GCEO level, five subjects, scraped it. That was it. My parents said, right, get out and work. <laughs> no university or anything like that in those days. And that's what it was. And young people then, you either, if you're fortunate enough that dad had a business, you went in dad's business. Um, otherwise, you joined the banks or you joined the civil service. So I joined the civil service and uh, the one I chose was the customs department and um, never regretted that. Right, um, right. I was in there for nearly 15 years, mm -hmm. um, starting off as a recruit. I was still 16 when I started there and um, I did 15, nearly 15 years uh, and I left in the end because I was in dead man's shoes at the age of 30. And I had a little bit more um, gumption to get further than that. Yeah. And at that particular time, Rhodesia was in a bit of a sticky situation because uh, we declared UDI, Ian Smith and all that. And um, there were sanctions and, and, and. Wow. Uh, and I was actually virtually headhunted by uh, an international trading company of widespread in 14 different countries they were but it was still a family business it was wonderful and and it was started after the first world war in cape town by wow. some german jews um and very successful but it, it did huge business in a very quiet careful way and i think that has been a lot of the background that i've got there was a way of doing it and that was one thing I was I taught from being a customs officer where you go or you think you go like that. So suddenly now being a gentleman <laughs> and getting things and, and making a sale. I mean, this is the beginning of my sales experience. Anyway, I was with that group um, for nearly 24 years. Um, that was my second and only job apart from that. I've had three jobs in my life. I've been a customs officer, a trading in the trading company and now as a, a gallery owner. So that is my entire history. So I was there for 24 years. During that time, I did a lot of travel, um, mainly to the Far East as well. We had just traveled. And I learned an awful lot in a very short time. Um, but a lot of it was that personal touch. That was the way they did business. And um, it worked for them. It worked for us. I, I became a member of the board of directors there. It, wonderful opportunity wonderful situation but at the time came then of course history moves on Rhodesia became Zimbabwe things were fine and suddenly downhill time to leave and um, it was at a t stage where I was planning on uh, taking early retirement um, 55 yeah why not and then suddenly 
once again, being a good colonial from the British Empire, we moved from England to Rhodesia, and now we're going from Rhodesia to Australia. That was our choice. We had family friends there. But of course, at that age, you don't just walk into Australia. You don't today. It's you know, quite a few boxes to tick. And uh, our, the only way we were going to get in was on the old 457. For Australians, they probably know what that is. Um, I had to have a business or buy a business. So we scraped together every halfpenny and penny we could in order to do that. And we, we had to start or buy into a business. And um, Gabe being the artist and the most qualified of the two of us, she was the applicant and I was just the, I was the driver. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's, so we actually bought a franchise and that was our introduction to commercial art. And um, so we arrived in Australia at the end of 2001. And on the 1st of May, 2002, we opened our gallery, which we designed, set up, built, you know, fitted out um, in cahoots with the franchise. And we opened in Applecross. And um, it was tough. We didn't know anyone. I mean, apart from our handful of friends and um, in any situation wherever you are in the world it, it's meeting people you've got to have connections and things like that so that was the big thing about us was making a connection and from that point of view it was very interesting we chose Applecross because it's a beautiful suburb I mean you know it well yeah, um, and anyone else anyone else who's been there would know it it is absolutely gorgeous um, on the, the banks of where the uh, the Swan River um, it goes into the city, beautiful location. Um, and we then had to build up from scratch a clientele. And uh, the, the level of, when I say level, um, the population of Applecross was in the higher end of the market because the closer you are to the water, the more expensive, of course, the properties. And so therefore that guides what kind of people can afford to live there. Mm -hmm. But, and a lot of those people were retirees and um, a lot of colonials. Um, I think every road in Applecross is named after a Scotsman, but we won't hold that against them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that's where we were. And through that, we, we met a lot of people. And, um, and in fact, we have a, a database where we had over four and a half thousand customers on our, on our, on our database. Those, those were real customers let alone the comings and goings. So that's how we we got into the art scene. That's where it was. And over the years, um, we we built it. We had artists like yourself. And by then, um, we had got a, a bit of a reputation. We had artists, prominent artists coming to us. And, and we were able, we, we had limited space, um, but it, it was well used. We could probably hang on average about 75 pieces. Um, but it it was comfortable. It had a nice air about it. It was our stamp on the thing. And it did fit the area. It fitted the age group of the... And, and it all came together. But we work on it. Hmm. Like everything, you've got to work on it. You've got to get it together. You've got it to get it to come together. Um, and And that's how we got into where we were. Um, and also down the line, after our first five years as a franchise, we had the option of actually getting ourselves out of the franchise, which we decided to do 
uh, it was by mutual consent on both sides, because there were restrictions on us that were holding us back a little bit, um, mm. which is normal with a, a franchise. So having the ropes and chains taken off, we then actually went from strength to strength. And it was a good time too, because in the 2008, 2010 area, uh, it, it was good. Yeah. Money, yeah. the Western Australia boom, you know, fly in, fly out, you know, stop and go man earning 80,000 a year, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's extraordinary and, and, time. Yeah. So, um, so all those things, I don't like using the word luck, but we were very fortunate that a lot of things happened um, that, that helped us to, to keep going on and on and on. And then the only other thing that got against us was um, essentially age. You know, you get to a point where, why am I doing this? Um, there's so much to do, can still walk properly. So let's get out there and do all the things that we've actually missed doing over the years. And But everything comes back to personal relationships. And I believe that all the way through, um, that you can put put yourself out. You know, people used to say, will you do that for us? And I said, of course I will. You know, whatever it was, you know, I'll do that. I'll bring this. But, but you, you're too busy. No, I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. And my goodness me, does that pay back? It yeah. does pay back. And and I think, um, and, and I've seen this myself, and I'm no pointing fingers, but I, over the years, of course, whenever you get an opportunity of going to a gallery, you do. It's a busman's holiday. It's stupid, really. You know, you see paintings every day of your life. Why do you go when you go on holiday? But you do, because yeah. that is now your business. Yeah. And and it's been interesting to see how other people run a gallery. And, yeah. you know, with him walking in there, there's always something, gee, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't have, you know, I'm just looking around yeah. and, and eavesdropping, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. But I, personal personal situations, that's... Get in there, get to know your customers, have a, get a good relationship with you, with your with your artists and people like that. That's good. You know, that's um, that's you in a nutshell. Because I would remember being there in the gallery, and we'd be having a chat, having a cup of coffee or something, and I'd remember it wouldn't matter who walked through that door, they were treated like royalty. But it wasn't over the top either. But it was just it was the the courtesy and respect and they always got a smile and they always got asked about, you know, and a lot of these people were regular customers as well. And I, I think that was from the outside looking in from from watching how you started that. Um, the reason I think the gallery was so successful for so long was because of that personal touch that you you brought to it. Because to me, I really look up to you, Colin, and I mean that. I'm not just just saying well, that. But thank you. <laughs> I, 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 to me, it seems also from becoming more familiar with your story over the years, you're that perfect blend of the discipline and precision that you learned during your service days mixed with your business savvy and the, the personal touch that you learned from the Goldschmidt days putting those two together. And now what do you have? You've got a tight ship that runs on courtesy, respect, and kindness. And I, I, it's perfect. And, and so, you know, when you're going around to other galleries, the thing I notice is how rude they are. How mm. rude they are. They, sometimes they barely won't look up from their screens to greet you as you walk in the door. 
And, and it, you're an inconvenience if you ask them for help. And, and you know, if you don't fit the, the demographic because you're wearing the wrong shoes or whatever, then you can forget about it. You know, I don't know. I just, I find other galleries to be quite rude, but not with what you guys had going on. Yeah. Yeah. Different in, in, every, in, in every business, and there are good people, there are bad people, there are average people. Sure. So it, it's a matter of where you've got to, You've got to decide where you want to be amongst that thing. But I agree with you. It, background is so important. And it's experience. It doesn't matter what the experience is. I mean, as you said, my experience has been over very diverse um, subjects and ways. Because thrown in with that as well, I would just mention that um, because of the unfortunate situation of a war, in uh, an independence war in, in Rhodesia, I actually did 16 years in territorial army service, which every bloke in every guy over 18 in the country had to do um, and that's part-time so one day you're in the, on the 12th floor of a skyscraper in the middle of Salisbury now Harare <laughs> and and the next day you were bumping on a truck driving up to the Zambezi Valley and jumping off a truck and maybe giving your backside shot off you know it, it <laughs> that is a lesson <laughs> that is a lesson wow. and you still got to run a family you've still got to run a business and you still got to stay alive and and I mean that situation, it it is a good combination to get the right mind, the right mindset. I can assure you. Wow. Um, and I mean, I was fortunate with many things about that. But there are, <clears throat> excuse me, other people that didn't quite work as well. And um, anyway, that's that's a sad situation. But all those things put together, it comes down to experience. And you know, experience you can't buy it. You can't pick it up. You can't. You can't study it. You've got to live it. Yeah. So, age comes into it. Yes, but you can, along the way, I believe, take on board more than you think you, well, you have done. And there is always more that you can look for. Small little things, but those are the small little things that count. And and when you're talking to somebody, and if it's especially if it's a customer, you know, you talk about other things as well. You don't just grab them by the collar and shove them in front of a painter and say, How, you know, there's that, where's your credit card? I mean, that doesn't work. <laughs> you've got to actually make a sale and you've got to convince them of that. And, and personalities, you've got to get used to it, work around it, make it happen. But make them know, not that they're walking out that they've just been bamboozled and bulldozed into it, that they really, really wanted it and they've now got it. And often that's the best way of doing that is, come on, I'll put it in the van. Let's go down to your house, hang it on the wall and see what it looks like. Perfect. You very rarely bring it home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back. See, that, I, I remember several. <laughs> that was a trick that I, I learned from you that I just loved as well. It wasn't ever a matter of just relying on... Um, <laughs> It's never a matter of just relying on this painting on the wall to do the selling and just be like, well, if you want it, here we go, you know, cash check or whatever. It was, well, let, let's let's have a better look at it. Let's let's get the light on it. You can see it. You can see what they've done here and what they've done here, whether it was my painting or somebody else's. And then if they were really experience, you know, expressing real interest in it you would then yeah, make the offer of, well, let me take it off the wall, wrap it up for you. <laughs> that was yeah. my favorite one. Just a little, a little something that, that would just kind of kick things along, but also just taking it and offering to hang it in their homes and leave it for a couple of days and 
you know, the, quite often, as you say, like I, I would, I would hazard a guess to say probably ninety percent of the time it stayed on that wall. Absolutely. And, and um, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny, Andrew. Uh, when you when you do that, I mean, you know, let's take it home, and I say, listen, I'll leave it with you. They look at you and say, well, do you want my driving license or something, you know, to, to, or do you want me to pay a deposit? I said, no, it's okay, I know where it is, you know. And they used to look at me hmm. that I, I've just suddenly given them all this trust and I've just put a $10,000 painting on their wall. Yeah. And that, that, that knocks you up a long way up the peg. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I was going to say too is a lot of people, when they're out, whether they're buying... Um, a lovely piece of furniture like you've got behind you or a Persian carpet or, or something that they they special that they really want, including pictures. Undoubtedly, in their purse, wallet, pocket, they've got a cell phone, a mobile. <laughs> and they've got photographs of where they want to put that sideboard, the rug or the painting. And they want to show you. Now, a lot of gallery owners, and I've seen it, they just fob that off. They just say, oh, I've got time to do that. Make time. You look at their house. You see it. You show an interest. Yeah. And then you say, I think, I don't think that's the right place that this would be. It looks like this would be a better place. This is why. Let's, let's take it down and have a look. That's mm. your key. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get on. The, they, they know what they want to do. They want to show you. They want to talk. They're going to spend a lot of money with you, hopefully. Mm. <laughs> so, Make them, you know, always make them happy when they walk out that they don't feel that they've lost money. They feel that they've actually gained something that they've got for the rest of their life they can look at. And That's right. You know, you mentioned a word right there, though. That's the golden word. Um, trust. Oh. You know, when you're when you're leaving the, the, the painting with them. And, and you're, you, it's the trust. And I felt like for, for you, this is the thing that I learned from you, you know, and you have it in spades, is that you're, you're willing to go out on a limb and trust other people. And I think that this was the cornerstone to our relationship because I know that I'm a trustworthy person. And finally, mm -hmm. I found an agent and a dealer who was also trustworthy, but they show their trustworthiness by their willingness to trust others. And you're reminding me of a story as well. Um, and and I won't mention names, but you'll know exactly who I'm talking about, Colin. <laughs> I it was it was somebody else that was involved in the franchise, and it was the person working at the counter. And they had at this other outlet um, during the time where you we were still part of it of the group. They had at this other outlet a customer at the front counter. And they were trying to relay over the phone. So she's sitting there on the counter with her phone kind of in the crook of her neck. And I'm going back and forth between, you know, her and the client. Meanwhile, I'm not actually speaking to the client. So the gallery is a middleman the whole way. And she's relaying messages back and forth until eventually I just said, hey, listen, can you hand the customer the phone, please? And she did. I started talking. And then the the person on the front counter couldn't hear what I was telling the client. But what I was doing, I was giving her my home address to say, <laughs> listen, I think I got just the painting for you. Here's my address. So she then asks the person on the counter, can I have a pen and paper, please, so I can write down this address? So she starts writing down the address. She was rudely cut off 
had the pen and paper ripped from her and the telephone. And then she came back on the line to me and said, Andrew, we don't do that. I said, what are you talking about? We don't do that. I'm sure you can understand the business side. And that was it. That's, and at the time, it was so abrupt that I was taken aback. I was like, wow, what just happened here? What just happened here? And then it wasn't until years later that I got it. It was like, oh, they were fiercely maintaining that middle ground. But with you, it was completely different. It would be, hey, Andrew, I got somebody here in the gallery right now that's interested in this painting. I think you'll be able to fill in the backstory. You want to come down and meet him? I'm like, wow, amazing. Because yeah. you knew that I would never kind of, I, I needed you. There was a vital role that you were filling because I had to paint. And meanwhile, you were fulfilling that role of, of being the, the salesman, the agent, the representative. And, and I just felt like it worked because we both knew what we were doing. And we trusted each other. So I got access to all the clients. It's, to yeah. me, I, I don't know, from a personal point of view, I just feel that that's really missing in the industry. And I get why that is. I mean, I, I do get it. And I do appreciate that what we had is rare. But I don't know. Do you think maybe... A little bit more of that could creep into today's industry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely correct. But you, you are very different to many, many other artists. And and this is where ethics come in, business ethics, how to go about things. And and this is where I I commend your dad because right. I I know for a fact that he ruled you with a fist of iron about <laughs> what you do and what you don't do. Yeah, and, and, and ethics, <laughs> ethics. I think went through a hole in the back of your spine and came out the end of your nails and then in your toenails and went round again, because that was one thing. I mean, you, I always respect your dad for that. Yeah. Um, but I, I fully understand, and a lot of artists don't. They, they appreciate what an agent does, but then they really get upset when they have to pay the agent for giving a service. Yeah. You know, when you take your car to the garage, you don't moan like hell and say, I could have gone to Repco down the road and bought mm -hmm. the uh, the oil and saved myself 150 bucks. So what are you going to do? You don't know how to service your car. So, you know, you pay for what you want and, yeah. and you've got to be prepared for that. And in an industry, that level finds itself. And we... And, and in, well, you know, everyone knows, I'm sure, and everyone listening to this will go, know that when you go to uh, the gallery, commissions vary. Yes. Depends on many things. That, yeah. There's no said, but there's a general idea. Yes, it does sound a lot of money. But mm -hmm. the point that you're making, and I, I think, you know, I would like to make as well, is an artist, his job is to paint pictures, not sell them. You shouldn't be chasing your butt off around trying to sell it. Mm -hmm. You should be painting, improving yourself, techniques, working on it. That's your job. That's mm -hmm. the artist's job. Leave the other job to the people that have. And uh, do people there realize how much it costs to keep the door open of, a, of any shop? Yeah. In, in, to be in a reasonable place, especially as an art gallery, you're paying big bucks it's yes. a lot of money. Yeah. And where did, where's that come from? You know, uh, they're happy to bring the pictures in there, mm -hmm. but then do they think about that? And, and I just say to this, anyone who's listening, always bear that in mind. You know, mm. there's a lot of money between, uh, we're talking money, but it, it is an expensive exercise and everyone's got to make a living. 
and there are people I agree and there are always bad people and good people and there are some bad people you hear stories that are a bit horrific about what happens with that but but the other thing that I would say as well is that um, a lot of artists um, a lot there are a lot of artists who really begrudge paying that commission and will do anything to sidetrack the the sale through the gallery you know the the, the example you just gave there um, you know the, the, we've you hear of that where mm. somebody goes in there sees who it is goes home Google's the name, finds a home address and say, I've just seen this picture at Gallery ABCD down there out there. I'm prepared to pay this for it. I would add it. And then artist goes into the gallery and said, um, I'm, I'll take that out. It's been here too long. And why? Because tomorrow the person who's buying it's coming. I mean, that's offside. I mean, that that, that is offside. <laughs> Well, it, but but the artist is inadvertently by by doing that, thinking that they might be able to do something on the side. The client's getting a deal. The artist is getting a quick sale. I think that actually does a lot of damage, um, especially when you're dealing with something like market value. Um, I have upset a few people that were looking at buying a painting because they were like, well, I saw paintings for sale down there for X amount, yet you're charging me the same amount, but I'm not dealing with the agent. I said, well, it doesn't matter. Why would I disrespect them, the people that have paid full price as well, by, by undercutting that value that has been established? So the market value must maintain its level across the board. That's what I spent my career trying to do, was to, and, and you helping me to push those values up there. Absolutely. I think my beef, though, with the other gallery... Um, my beef with them, whilst I understood their position, nothing I was doing was taking away from their sale. I would have kicked the customer straight back to the gallery afterwards. What I mm. wanted was the openness of the communication with the client. Yeah. I wanted yeah. I wanted to be able to establish firmly what they needed and, and really provide something to their specific needs. And the only way I could do that is by listening, by hearing and, and seeing and maybe seeing something on their phone of here's my living room and you know, this is what I what I have. Can you suggest uh a painting of this, that, or the other. I would have been able to, to yeah. handle that a lot better, but unfortunately that person will, yeah. you know, they it, just there's, faded there's, away. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no, there's nothing wrong with an, an artist assisting the agent in making the sale, for goodness sake. Yeah, we <laughs> but, did that plenty. We did that. Yeah, mm. we did it virtually every time, didn't we, Andrew? Mm. Um, if not before or afterwards, when somebody bought the painting, we often arranged it that we went round there afterwards together into their house to see it on the wall. And how happy were they when the artist walked in? Look, here's your painting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that's all part of service. Yeah, uh, it's quite true. And and I will just go back a little bit there where you're saying about the value. That's another thing that an agent is trying to do, and this is why agents do and galleries do like to have um, a relationship with their artists they don't they don't want everyone who comes off the street they've got to have a relationship so that there is that trust there's all those kind of things but at the same time part of the job of the gallery owner is to get the prices to the correct level of what the work the work is worth um, and that that of course is from experience again I'm not saying that we had a great amount of experience. We were immigrants at the time, but you soon pick up. And of course, when you when you start making sales, you get a feel. You get a feel for what you've got. 
and where you are and, and all those situations. And that, that is hard work. And there you are easing up the prices to, for everyone's benefit, for yours, for ours. But at the same time, the customer, we're not just doing it to get more money. It's a matter because the product is getting better. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's what it's all about because yes. an artist should always be improving themselves. So there it is going up. And then the first time that this guy gets a chance and he sells it at the back door for 20% off, he's just undone maybe a year's work. Because now that yeah. person runs along saying, I've just bought this from Andrew Tisch's at his back door and I saved all this. Now your work's suddenly gone down 20%. Yeah. Because yeah. that kind of news travels fast around the people who are interested. So, yeah. you know, these are all those things. It's, yeah. it's, it's a minefield. Yeah. But you've got to tiptoe through it. <laughs> but trust Trust, trust, trust. The trust is so important. It really is. Let's, um, let's pivot from here, Colin. I want to hear a little bit more about, because I, I know who's going to be listening to this. There's going to be a lot of young artists out there, maybe even some older artists that want to get move into professional art, selling their work full time. And maybe they're thinking, you know, I really want to approach a gallery. I want to get into a gallery, show my work and be part of the, the art world, so to speak. What advice could you offer to uh, would be artists out there for making that approach to a gallery and and seeking representation? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, I anticipated this question. Oh, here we go. <laughs> and in front of me, I've I've got the Oxford Dictionary, the concise. Okay. And and one of the <laughs> when one looks up the word artist, it says one who practices one of the fine arts, especially painting. One of the fine arts. So that means to be an artist, you have to produce fine art. Mm -hmm. There is another little one in the same book, which is the definition of a painter. Right. And a painter is one who paints pictures. Right. Very good. Which which (laughs) one are you? (laughs) Pretty straightforward. (laughs) May May I say painters shouldn't really go towards an art gallery. Okay. (laughs) I mean, that's a little bit of lightheartedness. But but um, we, you know, although nice on the surface and all that, we 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 have giggles as well. And um, I, I do remember saying to somebody who came in, who I knew I could get away with it. They walked in full of bounce and said, I'm an artist. I said, mm, mm, mm. we say who's an artist. When you walk through our door, you're a painter. I will tell you when you're an artist. <laughs> That's very, very rude. But, but we all have a giggle about it. Uh, but, but that hits a, a nail on the head. Oh. You know, what are you? What yeah. are you? And, and when you're going to approach a gallery, you've got to make sure that your work can is good enough mm-hmm. to sit on that wall. Mm-hmm. And my, my one big advice to anyone who does that, before you approach a gallery, go into the gallery, have a damn good look at what's on their wall, thoroughly, and look at it, not just from a pretty, pretty point of view, or it's got a nice frame, look at it, appreciate you, say you're an artist or a painter, you've got techniques, look at it. What techniques have been used there? What makes this picture look so appealing? Get the feel of it and 
away from your own work because your own work you think is fantastic and it can be it can be but a lot of time people that uh, they think it's better and, and all the family says oh that's gorgeous you know you should put that up on the wall or that you're going to get you've got to look at it objectively is it good work you've got to be a self-critic look at your work is it good and as you said as well and what we're talking about here you've got to strive all the time to improve and you you never stop learning in life from the day you're were born to the day you die you learn something every single day and if you're an artist it's actually there's a lot small area where you can learn something you can see how did they do that i must find out how that was done you find out how you do it and you do it in fact i remember the color of your waves that gorgeous color to get that to the top of a breaking wave how long did that take you and that was you were an established artist and and, and yeah. you came in one day i've got it i've got it what have you got look What's that? The color. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. It was. It was. It. It took me a while. It looked really flat and really drab. I then picked up a, a new pigment that I'd never used before. I, it was cobalt teal, to be honest. Uh, permanent blue. Uh, permanent blue twenty eight, or permanent green fifty is is another shade. But it's um, it was an amazing color. And when mixed with cadmium yellow and phthalo blue as well. Damn, you had that electricity of the Southern Ocean that sweeps across the south of, of Western Australia. It was amazing. It sells paintings. And it sells paintings. Oh, there you go. That, well, that's what you're worried about. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the ticket. So, yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I know how much you still put into that, yeah. you know, improving yourself. I mean, you produce fantastic, enormous, incredible paintings, but you'd never stop looking yeah. to go another step well and let, let me let me let's just spend a, a, a minute on that if, if i can i don't want to get too far out because because I, I feel like you just we've struck a gold vein right there um with with the constant improvement we're not going to mention names okay but but we know and this is a phenomenon that i see commonly with other artists and and also um you know i I, I try not to give advice to others unless they ask me for it. I've, I've hit my head against that wall for a lot of years before I just went, okay, I'm not going to say anything. But from the outside looking in, you kind of get an idea for the, for the MO of, of other artists. And some of them, I feel like they get to this point where they're painting something. They realized they've struck a chord with their target audience they've produced something that looks really attractive and now they replicate the experiment. They go, okay, well that works. So I'll do it again and again and again and again and again. And then why two, they stop. Two, two years, well, yeah, two years down the track, it's the same painting. Uh, five years down the track. Oh, I've seen that before. Is it the same painting? No, this is signed 2019. I thought that was 2017. You, do you know what I'm saying? And, and so, how important is it from the seller's point of view to kind of mix it up a bit? And how do you find that balance between, in, in terms of how would you guide somebody who's trying to find that balance between having variety, maybe too much variety, to doing the same thing over and over again? It's like, come on, you're one hit wonder. Branch out a little bit here. Yeah. I think you could, well, the, the answer to that is you've got to have more than one tool in your toolbox. You know, you cannot make a success in art, as you just said, you know, you've said all that. You mustn't, it, it cannot be same, same, same again. And and a, a point about that is, and, and I refer back to Gay, 
with her, um, and as you know, she she's also um, a, an art judge and, and judged exhibitions and things. Um, and whilst names have to be covered in most of them, so that the keyboard Gage, when she walks in the wall, can stand back and virtually reel off the artist from just <laughs> where she stands there. All right, there's there's good and bad in that. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we pick one of yours out from half a mile, but that's for a different reason. But I'm just saying, you've got to have more than one tool in the box, and and you've got to be always on that, and don't be scared about moving out there. Okay, you've got to get into the gallery, but once you're in there. You've got to stay in there. And the only way you stay in there is by giving fresh, different aspect, different subject matter. Don't stick to the same six rocks and a piece of water because there's a limit to how many times you're going to sell that. And when you are successful like that, you'll find that 20 other painters or artists start painting the same view. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. And because so. it sells, they think yeah. it sells. Yeah. yeah. So, so you know that that's the thing. You you've got to keep you've got to keep people interested in your work, uh, and it doesn't take them long to realise the quality of the work. So mm. then you've got to give them something extra, and that can often be different views, different aspects. Okay. I mean, I love your chicken hut that you don't show anyone when oh. you've got it stuck up on the board. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Your chook hut. I think that's lovely. <laughs> so that was a, a painting that I did on plein air um, many years ago in the backyard of a house in Melbourne. Um, and I was visiting uh, some family. And uh, yeah, it was just this banged together pile of wood and a sheet of iron and some chickens and chicken wire and all that. And I just thought, well, I'll paint that. And it was and one of those things that came together. Yeah, yeah. And what about <laughs> surprised you remember that one? <laughs> what, what about the mushroom with the little door opening and the elf coming out for your niece? I, I gave that to my niece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> shout out to Maya. Um, yeah, she she ended up with that painting, and um, it's gone to a very good home. I, I hope she loves it. But um, <laughs> I, I remember that very fondly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's offered a bit of a tangent. Yeah, but, yeah. but it, you know, little things like that. And, mm. and also from your point of view, I would just add to one. We are very pleased and proud to have on our wall just behind me over on the left here is one of your, your still life oh. pieces of art. You know, um, I, I haven't seen that for a while. Do you want to do, can you put that up to the camera? I think so. I'll have to take my ears out for a oh, second. That, that's all right. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yes. That one, the pumpkins and the onions. <laughs> yeah. Blast from the past. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that is admired by so many people and, um, and we've got it hanging there with a, another artist who, you know, as well, which is also still life. And it's like chalk and cheese <laughs> and they, they are, they're both beautiful. I mean, hers is wonderful yeah. too. Totally different though. I think and, and you're 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 referring to Peter Zeller. Um, I am shout a shout out to Peter. She's a wonderful painter, and she's actually teaching some workshops now in Perth. I think I, she's she is yeah. indeed. And yeah. um, Fed, I think she's doing one in Europe. She's going to ah, Italy. Peter, yeah, she's great. <laughs> yeah, she's great. Okay. I, I, wonderful yeah, person. Peter's a wonderful, wonderful person. And yeah. and um, you know, it's just lovely. Uh, we've got one on top of the other one of two completely different. It's still life, but you know, it's yeah. so different. 
That's and, cool. And this is what it's all about. But we're yeah. getting a little bit off the subject. We, we are. Let, let me let me let me bring us back because let's say you know you're a you're a, 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 a an artist. You want to or maybe okay. Let's go air quotes painter. You're a painter. You're waiting to <laughs> kind of find your artistic feet, and you go into the gallery. So you've gone into the gallery and you've you've said okay. I feel like I'm confident enough to show in this establishment. What do you do? You, you get all your paintings out of your studio and you just show up. No. Okay. Well, stop right. there. You, okay. You, you tell me. Yeah. You're too far ahead. That's what you I would do. <laughs> the, only t- <laughs> the only time you go into the gallery is um, when you've done your basics. And I've yeah. said already, go into the gallery, have a look and see what's there. Will my work look good amongst the sun? Is it to the standard of the painting on the wall? At least to the standard. Mm-hmm. If then you, the answer is yes. I mean, first of all, if it's no, go back to the drawing board and find out why you believe it's not as good as what's on the wall. And then try to bring yourself up. Now you've got a standard that, you, that you're trying to, to reach. Because if you want to be in, in that gallery, then you've got to do something more. So that's the lesson first. But if you think that um, what you've got is that good, the approach is straight away is maybe a phone call or even an email to the gallery saying, I visited your gallery. I am a painter, an artist, whatever you like to call yourself. We don't don't hold that against you. Um, and say, this is a couple of my pieces. Would it be possible for me to bring something in to show you? And if so, when? That's the big thing. Don't just walk off the street. Any business has busy periods. Does, so you do have to make an appointment. It's, it's like going to the doctor. You can't just walk in and, and expect him to, to saw your leg off. You know, <laughs> you've you, you got to prepare them for it. So, so do that. It's the polite way. So then you walk in, present yourself. This is who I am. I've sent you an email. Thank you very much for giving me the time. And then, hopefully, the the you know the gallery that you've gone to, um, they are prepared for it. They know you're coming. It's not a surprise, and they should should give you the time. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, some positive criticism, well, not criticism, but advice, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, why Why saying no, what you need to do, you know, advice. You're on the right road, but you're not quite there yet. Have you tried this? Have you tried that? Right. All those those kind of things. Mm. And, and that is the way you've got to build up that confidence. And, and hopefully if you are, um, you know, that, that fantastic, they might say, and we did this certainly in our early age um, times, yes. We will take it. We will take these two because they are to the standard that we like. We like what we see. We're prepared to take a chance. Yeah. There it is. Well, that's the way. But mm-hmm. one, one thing I would say to you, Andrew, and I know it's something that is not um, what you would uh, did or approve of, but one thing I do say to young uh, up and coming, well, not as he young, we don't have to, an age doesn't come into it. New painters, new artists, enter your work in exhibitions, um, competitions, get your work out there, get mm-hmm. your name seen. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you, you can't just walk in and say, I'm Colin Dixon, I'm a painter, now I expect somebody to come in and buy your painting. It's got to be bloody good to do, well, shouldn't be so damn good to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it can happen. But the fact is, you have got to build it up a little bit so that when somebody goes into Applecross uh, Art Gallery there, they look at it and say, Oh, that's that Andrew Tischler. I've seen his work. It was at the Melville um, City Awards. It was in the Fremantle Arts Gallery. Ah, oh, ah, oh, yeah, I know who that is. I read about it. There was an article in the local newspaper about him. Mm-hmm. You're, you're one step up the ladder. So it's a matter of you're no longer a total unknown. And that is also for the gallery owner because he reads those papers. He goes to those, we should do, he goes to those exhibitions and he looks. We did. We always went along to look and see what was at the, especially in Melville, you know, which have got wonderful exhibitions and, and um, each year and, and they, they, they collect art. Um, you go along there to see who's up and coming. Who's this fella? That's good. And to the point of where you then do a bit of research, if they're very good, to find them. And that makes them feel good when, yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you phone somebody up and say, I've seen a piece of your work, would you like to come and see us bring some more to something? Ha ha ha, they lose their breath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful when that happens. Yeah, it yeah, is. It is. Yeah. But, but it is. So these are all factors. Yes. And, and um, that, that's what's got to happen. And you've got to be guided by, by what the, the gallery tells you. Sure. Um, and, and as far as price level, that is a huge, huge problem. Where the hell do you start? That's a you good. Know? That's a good topic to cover as well. Um, absolutely. Let's let's get come to price in in just one moment though, Colin, um, because you you said something there that I find very very interesting. You know, you're right. It's not my approach now um, to go for awards and competitions, but there was this particular thing that was happening in Perth. And they're still doing it now. And I know a lot of other places around the world do something similar, where the local council will put together a showing of art from people within the city or that council or whatever. This was a, a, a just a collection of all different types of art from people of all different types of levels. So you had some big names that were showing at these shows, but you also had somebody who was so-and-so's grandmother who likes to paint apples. So she was in there as well. You got this great variety. And when I was going for that, you know, my, my dad was giving me advice at the time. He's like, okay, Andrew, you're, you're very clear about why you're doing this. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, you're, you're not going in to win. Because if you're going in to win, that shows that you've got your ego too tied up in this. You're going to be seen. Just go and be seen because you don't know who's going to be there. And as you say yourself right now, the gallery owners are walking around these things as well. So get out there amongst it and be seen. But for me, my personal aversion to awards and competitions is, and no disrespect to gay, you know I love gay. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely yeah, yeah. love her. But my, my aversion uh, to that is the judging process, is, is having somebody else say, this is worth such and such, or this is, this is worth first prize, second prize, or whatever. I liked the decisions that, that, that Gay made when she was going in and, and you know, judging these shows because she often she picked the ones that I would have picked anyway. But 
it's it's art experts normally from the art establishment who have been indoctrinated into the modern contemporary way of thinking that then suddenly they they choose the the toothbrush that's balanced on a bar stool that is you know got a record spinning on it and has been drizzled with cornflakes that's the piece that they're like this is beautiful because it talks about sexual oppression in the 2000s you know i i just people know the kind of crap i'm talking about and it's normally yes. the weird wacky and wonderful stuff that gets picked that's my objection to it and that's why i don't participate yeah. but you you yeah. make a very good point there of getting out there and being sane yes yeah. There, there are levels. I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. And I've got two little comments to make about that. Sure. One is in a, a very big exhibition here in Perth, some many years ago now, where uh, good prize, and there were four judges. And one was a potter. One was a quilt maker. One was a photographer and I forget the other one, there was not one fine artist. And yet 99%, I, I don't know, I'm pulling a number, 90% at least was fine art. So I think that sums up how can these, I, I'm getting really deep now, but, yeah, yeah, but it is yeah. choice, you know, if you're going to give away big money, and it is big money, it's serious stuff, you've got to make sure that you've got the right people judging it. And that takes me to the second level, which I'm now really walking on broken glass. We've just come back from Sydney, as you know, and we were fortunate enough to see the Archibald Prize this year, the exhibition there. Oh, we my were given word. Okay, let's have it, Colin. Let's have it. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think back, because Gay and myself, we hounded the hell out of you to put something on there and yeah. and you had the the law boss which i think is yeah. a most incredible painting and still is it is absolutely fantastic we can tell lovely stories about that with the the actual man sweating on the wall the, oh yeah, yeah 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 that was um, melting varnish <laughs> i know but the sun came through actually let's just stop there um, I'm going to tell this is to the audience now. Yeah. Andrew painted this wonderful picture. I'm sure it's still on your on your website, isn't it? It's called the Law Boss. I think it is. It's either the Law Boss or the man's name, Richard Hunter. Yeah, Richard Hunter. Yeah, yeah. It, it's an, an Aboriginal leader. It is the most incredible, incredible um, piece of, of of art and, and a portrait. And we convinced Andrew to show it obviously later there, but it went on to the mm. local exhibition where well, it was your, your anniversary exhibition. I think it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The 10 year anniversary yeah. exhibition that yeah. we had and that was 2012. We, we had it at yeah. back in Heathcote. Yeah. 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 And it was in Heathcote and we found a position on the wall, um, looking out and Heathcote is a, is a, uh, a, a protected building. Mm. Um, it's got big sash windows and the afternoon sun was going down and it, came through the window and the light just hit this painting as though as though we had hung it there we know we'd marked out where this the sun was going to be and it hit it and this damn thing came alive and in fact the hair on the back of my neck is going up like this it came alive this painting and then he started sweating on his forehead 
it was eerie and everybody was looking at it i remember everybody was gathered around looking at it going ooh ooh ah and i was like what is going on i went and had a look i was like oh gee something's happening like i was as soon as i saw it it wasn't eerie it was like technical issue let's get it out of the sun everyone else thought it was a miracle and i think everyone in there was like come on over look at this (laughs) however i mean that these are one of the wonderful stories about being in the art world but take that one step further we convinced you to put that on the archibald and it didn't even get past the peckers and you know that that is another story it's okay it was it was one of those circumstances where I, I mean, I did take some talking around to, to get to enter that exhibition. And in fact, we had a client, you know, a very good customer of ours, Colin, who said that she wanted bragging rights. And so yes. there was there was a few other people that were like, yeah, you need to go ahead and enter these things because we want bragging rights. And I didn't want to do it. I drug my feet. I resisted it. I, I'm not saying that to kind of say I, I was right, but I... I also remember the emotional toll that it took on me to even not a mention, not anything at great expense. You have to ship your work physically. There was no digital submission back then. You had no, to no. physically ship the pa- I don't know if it's changed in recent years. I would have no idea. Exactly the but, same but you, you have to ship the painting over and not a word, not a nothing, no acknowledgement or anything. But mind you, there were thousands of entries that got in. And, and since then, I, I, still, I still continue to get emails, comments, messages from people saying, that painting of the law boss, that was fantastic. You should enter that into the Archibald. I, I was just like, I did. <laughs> like, I did. But, you know, it, it's okay. It was a learning experience for me. Now, I, I just, it's not that I'm bitter. It's not because, well, I didn't win, so I'm not going to play that game anymore. It, it's a fundamental uh, aversion yeah. to to not wanting to be in a position where I feel that the people that have the authority to cast that judgment are going to, they're they're going to pass judgment on this painting and dictate to everybody else if it's good, bad, or whatever. The only person, as far as I'm concerned, the only person who has a right to judge my work is the person who's standing in front of it at that moment. Correct. And that's none of my business what they think anyway. That's just my feeling. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and if it's any consolation, when we looked at the finalists around there, there were some incredible pieces of art. Yeah. But personally, we did not agree that the one that did win, it was exceptionally good and, and there's a big story behind it. Yeah. Personally, we would have chosen different ones, which yeah. points out that, that thing. Different people see it different ways. Yeah. And, and there were other ones that I thought, how the hell have they, why have they got that on the wall? Mm. Plus the fact going back, I think to enter it, it costs about $500, doesn't it? The entry fee. I it was a lot of money. I can't remember what it was. I remember I was out of pocket with transportation and all of that, building a crate. I was out of pocket 800 bucks. And this was yeah. back at a time where I wasn't, I mean, I was doing okay, but there was a lot of money. <laughs> it was living for a couple of months. <laughs> I mean, still, I would, I would have to take a very deep breath still today. Go, I don't know that I want to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But uh, so just summing that whole thing up, yeah. I, I think, you know, the, there are always pros and cons. Mm. It's always good to talk about them. And what we're saying there is quite true. Um, and, and it's most unfortunate when, you know, when work like yours gets ignored or not, you know, yeah. and, and then others where, 
I, I can go on forever and ever, you know. But but it's okay. as a young person, <laughs> as a as a young person, get out there. Yeah. Just as, you said, as your dad said, to be seen, to be there. Be seen. The name appears because that's so very important. And then, having got your feet under the table and in way, do what you are told to do. When I say told, it's not dictatorial because. The agent should be, or the gallery should be discussing it with you. It's not a one-sided thing. But he will be giving you, or he or she, would be giving you what they need in order to sell your work. You've got to listen to that because I think ultimately that's what you want to do, is sell your work. You, do, you don't want to have it all on your walls. You don't eat them. You, you, <laughs> you've got a living. Um, so you've got to listen to the advice. Whether you agree with it or not, you can come to a compromise wherever it is, but but listen to take the advice, take that advice, mm. and and run with it. Mm-hmm. And the minute that you get a sale, straight after that, you think, "Ha, that worked." Yeah, <laughs> I'll listen again. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and sure. also, and and then also, um, you know, try and uh, you know when you've got a relationship with a um, a gallery, maintain it right. as long as you're happy with it. Don't hop, skip, and jump, and because you they suddenly say, "Oh, I'd do better over the other side of the river." There, they go. Blah, blah, blah. Nobody knows you over there. You're still very local, mm-hmm. you know. So, build, build on what you got, and do that as a joint thing. Mm-hmm. And don't try and stab your the agent or gallery in the back. He's doing a job for you, and he's doing a, probably a very good job in the end. You, when you uh, we talk about pricing just now, when you've got a price on there, you just got to take that into consideration, mm. along with the cost of your your canvases, whether you're using Belgium linen or whatever you're using. Um, it, it, that's a cost. Your mm. paint is a cost. I mean, paint is expensive when when you consider what you pay for oh one of those goodness. things. Oh. And brushes. Oh brushes, wow! You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, so your input costs as an artist they're high. One of those is the cost of sale. Mm-hmm. Everything, even if you're making cornflakes, there is still a cost of sale. Once yes. you've got a packet of cornflakes, it's no good sitting in your factory. You've got to get it out there. So somebody's got to sell it. Somebody's got to get out. Same with paintings. It's a cost. It's, a, it's an overhead. Yeah, yeah. Don't try and you can't kill it. You got to have it. You're you're saying it's almost like the the artist is the factory taking care of production. Now you need distribution, marketing, all of that side of things, and that's the the. the And so the marketing guy comes back and says, "Put some dried strawberries in the cornflakes. We can sell more." Okay. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Okay, so that could be like add a little more sparkle to the water in your landscape painting, maybe. There you go. I So this is an interesting question. So on that, an, an interesting question. I, I get asked this all the time via email or messages through social media where people are like, hey, Andrew, how do I price my work? Because I think this thing happens. I mean, I've been very lucky with my association with you and building up my market over the years. I think we even had, after we had been running this for, for nearly a decade, we had people, young people coming through that saw the value and did suddenly like, oh, wow, I'm going to start selling for that amount now without realizing they, they built it up to a certain certain level. Now, I, I learned a lot about valuing paintings and my own work, very tough in the beginning. What would your recommendation be to somebody who just wanted to find 
a price for their work. So we've talked a little bit about the materials. So that's one thing you could you could maybe think about, okay, what goes into making a painting, but how do you actually end up with that final dollar amount for what the gallery is going to sell it for off the wall? Okay. Um, one, one thing I learned from my commercial background, and it does apply to an art gallery too. The selling price of an article is what you can get for it. Wow. That's it. Wow. Okay. That is it. And, you know, even if you're selling a motor car, what is the price? The price is what you get for it. Okay. Okay. So that's the answer. <laughs> because once you sold it, you know you've got the right price. Yes. Or maybe maybe you're too low. But you've got to know where that is. So I think it depends on where you are in your career. Uh, and, and right from the word go, the selling side of things, um, one of the, the things we always used to ask, a new artist or new somebody coming into us was, have you ever, have you sold any work? Mm -hmm. And they say yes and say, well, truthful now, what did you, what was it? What size was it? What was it? And how much did you get for it? And they look at you, I say, don't be embarrassed. We've got to know that because if somebody has already purchased that level, at that level, even if it's your grandmother, it doesn't matter. That straight away now, there is something to work on and so that's one one aspect okay if they haven't sold it before then it's a matter of right okay what do we think it can sell for and then it's a matter of looking around the gallery and discussing it with the artist to try and draw a comparison between that person's this new artist's work and something on your wall you know and from experience that we had we could do that I mean, you can't just put it out, but you can get pretty close that that is in the same category as that one and that one and that one. So, you know, that one's $300, that's 450 that's 325 Okay, that's our level. Let's try 350 No, I mean, I'm talking now, you know, beginner's prices. If it sells, that's good. So you get another one, and next time... Let's try 375 on this one or 400 and it sells and away you go. You're now on a ladder and without being stupid, because a lot of people think that once you sold three in, in a month, you can double your prices. No, you can't because you're going to undo three months work, you know, because you it's slowly, slowly catch the monkey. And I don't mean that derogatory to the customer. But... I, I I used to love that um that saying that that's one of those uh, those colonisms. <laughs> slowly, slowly catch the monkey, Andrew. You're always telling yeah. me to slow down. I, I, yeah, but I appreciate and, it now. But then, of course, and then then the market takes over. Yes. yes, it does. It gets to a stage where we you can up a price by five hundred dollars. And get away, well, get away with it. That's wrong. It sounds like this is a backyard industry. It's not. I, I'm I'm talking generally here. But when I say get away with it, it it is a risk. You might put it up 500, and it stays on the wall. And of course, then you've got a problem because if you drop it down, that's a bad mark, because somebody who's come in and seen it and wasn't prepared to pay 3,000 for it now suddenly sees it back at 25. Ah, they're not selling. Hmm. So you've got to be so careful with those. And here, I also, um, I think back, 
you know, to your, your dear dad and what he used to put into it and his very, very, very professional way of looking at pricing, which was incredibly complicated. I've still got one of his graphs. I keep it. I think I'm going to frame it one day because I still don't understand it completely. But, <laughs> but the, the basic thing, what he did, and, and, you know, when you think about the reasons for doing that, it's the he took into account, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, the area of the painting, in other words, the size of it, yeah. um, how long it stayed in the gallery before it sold, mm -hmm. what price it was, mm -hmm. and then overall, how many pictures, uh, paintings of yours, have been sold within a three-month period or something? It was yes. a fixed time. Yes. And when, so it was value against size against length of time to sell. And if everything sold in the first week, then you were too cheap. Yes. Basically. Yeah. yeah. I shouldn't say word cheap. It's horrible. No, no, but it, <laughs> it, no, I it's, take not it. yeah. it's not expensive enough. Yes. For the market. Yes. For the market. It's yeah. got, we're finding a level in the market. So, so then, I mean, we did go through that stage yeah. where, where we think it was going like an express train where, I was, you know, you brought them down west and I sold it and you went, took it away to finish it. <laughs> you know, so that's when you can afford to up your price because the market is prepared to pay that. It's interesting because as you're saying this, I'm recognizing, you know, the resistance that I had within myself. I know there's going to be some artists out there that are going to be almost taken aback from hearing us talk about money in these terms. Myself, you know, going back to that period in time, I was I was terrible with money. Therefore, I was terrible placing a value on what I did. And so if it were up to me without your help, without, you know, my father's influence, without the help of a couple of other agents at the time, I would still to this day probably be selling for about two grand for a square meter. OK, and look, mm. that's not a bad price. That's perfectly respectable. But it was through having the influence of people and just saying, no, no, Andrew, you just need to take a back seat here and listen. It's called and, a professional approach. There you go. And and so I, I had to kind of, but I, I think it's interesting, the relationship that many artists out there have with money and actually getting it firmly in their mind that it's actually a really good thing to sell for as much as you possibly can and not for greed. But I think it actually provides now when I look at it, it provides a valuable extra little bit of service for the people that love your work so much that they're willing to to buy it. What I've found is that my clients and customers over the years have been really excited to hear about the value of the investment that they've made and how much that's actually improved in value. And now suddenly I'm having even more of an impact. So now not only do they love the picture, but now it's like, wow, it's actually worth this much now, you know? And it just keeps building. It, it took then, me a long time to get over that, you know. And that's where the the, the agent uh, has another job is to maintain that value and yes. and to increase the value out there in the market. Ones that you sold fifteen years ago, you you've got to be aware of what's happening today. We I've been retired now for nearly two years. And, and we're still asked about value of your property, from, you know, your paintings from people that have bought your work and, and you know, their personal friends or something like that. They're always asking these things. So, yeah. you know, we, we keep an eye 
I mean, we're not valuers or anything like that, but with your particular work, we were engaged in how we got there. We know a lot more background about your work than anyone else's as far as an artist is concerned. So, you know, we, we're in, in some kind of a position where we can add to that. But at the same time, we inadvertently get drawn into a situation where we can maintain your level because... Mm. Um, take examples a couple of years ago where there was a deceased estate where there were a couple of your pictures and it was absolutely disgusting because the auctioneers i mean it was an incredible estate it was a very very big estate yeah. and and by three o'clock in the afternoon when your paint when the paintings came around i think the auctioneer had lost interest and one of your paintings that probably costs five six thousand dollars i think was sold for 250 well, yeah, more. I can remember the amount. I remember what it yeah. sold for. At Gal sorry, to, sorry to correct you there, but I, no, no, I no, no. It, it sold from a gallery down in the southwest of Western Australia uh, for twelve and a half thousand in two thousand and nine, and it came up for auction and sold for two and a half thousand to somebody that we knew very well, who was at the auction. She saw it. She knew exactly what it was. She was waiting, biding her time in the background. And then put up her little paddle at just the right moment and got it for a steal, and then came in and gloated about it. Yes, I was like, because she, oh, she was, in, she was <laughs> anticipating. She was anticipating, and we were working on the possibility of, of a commission. Oh, that's <laughs> and, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so suddenly that was out the window, and she was gloating. Um, we yeah. shouldn't mention the, 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 these horrible words, but um, no. I, look, I, I, I mean, she was fortunate. She was the right I, No, no. I, 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 I know who it is, and I, I really do like her, and I've got a lot of time and respect for her. So I don't mean any. Any, no, no. anything there that I don't yeah. don't mean to put her down in any way, but um, no, no, I think it was just a, it was the nature of the situation. If I was in her shoes, I would have done exactly the oh, same gosh. thing. In fact, at the time, I felt like if it was me at the auction, I would have bought my own painting, like <laughs> because I really liked that one. <laughs> if I was there, I would have bought it I, yeah. I would. <laughs> because I, I, pr protecting your provenance, you know, yeah. Yeah. the fact that. That's now in the records because the auction records are maintained. All these auctioneers, yeah. they, they all come together and, and this is how they value paintings. Yeah. They use prices at auction. So when you look up and if you have access to that, because you've got to be a, um, a, a paying, you've got to contribute to it. When you look it up, that will be registered there, mm -hmm. which is there forever now. And that suddenly shows one of your paintings mm. two and a half what you know yeah. because there's no history behind it it's yeah. just a price yeah, exactly. anyway this is we've gone off at a little bit of a side but but this is where you know what is the right price what is yeah. the right price and and it's market related when when we saw the downturn in the economy here and and when western australia when iron ore suddenly stopped i mean overnight our business went wham because there was just a lot of the people who were fly-in, fly-out people who were fortunate enough to have good incomes and they were happy to spend it. And a lot of them bought lovely things like art. Um, overnight, they were gone because they had they just lost their job. And they, they had a mortgage up to their head and three cars and a boat to pay for. Mm. Woo! Mm. And that was that was a really uh, valuable lesson as well for, yeah. for me at the time because I, I remember through that situation, you know, almost losing the business in a period of time that it seemed like overnight. 
yeah, just going yeah. from from selling you know these at these amazing levels on a consistent basis sell out exhibitions to yeah. nothing and yeah. and that was incredibly stressful and and that that lesson right there and I, fortunately i learned it in that moment which was yeah. i needed to diversify because there's no telling when these global catastrophic changes are going to take place but they do seem to have if we look back over history we know yeah. that there's a pattern to this thing every seven right. to ten years we're going to have a global crash and then it will boom and then it will crash yeah. and then it'll boom yeah. and then it will crash and it, but andrew it doesn't have to be global it can be local it can be I local mean, too yeah, yeah absolutely and, and absolutely. i mean the, the fly in fly out was very local because that yes. was the basis of a lot of our customers but yeah. but I'll, another one i'll tell you about is the superannuation fund when the government allowed you to yeah. have artworks in your super fund wow we saw that people who weren't previously would have not spent the money suddenly yeah. decided i can buy that in my super quite legally mm. and lovely Wow, sales again went up. And then suddenly the government realized, I don't know what the, I can't remember the whole story, but no, no longer you weren't allowed to yeah. get enjoyment out of your super. So you weren't allowed to put it on your wall. And so they didn't oh. buy it. Yeah. And, and I, I should just mention for our, our American listeners that the superannuation is a lot like, it's a retirement fund that's legislated by the government that you have to pay into, that you can cash out when you reach uh, 65, I believe. But um, yeah. I think in the US, uh, isn't that a, four, correct me, I, I can't even remember it, 401k, something like that? It's, um, the, the, the basis is your employer pays yep. for you, it yes. contributes. Yeah. And it's, it used to be 9%, and they eased it up. It's now 10, I think. Okay. And that is, a, by law, that has to go in there. But That's you can self-manage that by having prop, properties. Yeah. There, there are yeah. rules where you can control it yourself. So, so it was this. It was almost like a stroke of the pen, and in, in, in yeah. at the at you know at the government office, and they decided, okay, new rule. This is not yeah. going to. And and yeah, that was that was quite a devastating blow as well. Let's let's go back. Sorry, I I I, I love this about us because when we're <laughs> when we're talking, it it things pop up and we go down another rabbit hole. You know, it's great. Yeah. But uh, coming back to you know your your pricing your work. We talked a bit there about valuing, you know, your, your painting or maybe with the help of the agent finding a value for the painting. Um, I remember when when I first started out, one of the things that you, as well as my father, were encouraging me to do from the outset, and not that it had to stay there, but was don't get greedy, just price it very low, very, very modestly, and then let wait and see what the feedback from the market is. Correct. And yeah. in other words, did it sell? How quickly did it sell? Yeah. Yeah. We're back to that, that yeah. graph of your dad's as well. Yes. Yeah. Let the market talk to you and you must always listen to the market up or down. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> now, because, do you, do you remember, again, I don't want to mention names here. Um, I don't, I'd hate to get us in trouble here because, <laughs> you know, we're, we're putting this out there on the internet, but there was an artist a, a fantastic painter who was was represented in Western Australia got in with one agent in particular, and his paintings went from I think around five to ten thousand to now suddenly forty to fifty thousand within a very short period of time, and they seem to be selling. But then, what happened after that? I mean, do you want to do you want to do you remember that situation? 
Uh, I think I'm, um, yes, I, I'd be a bit cautious about talking about it because I don't know much about it, but I, I do know that it happened. Well, I, I mean, and, I think we know about as much as each other in that situation. Yeah. I don't know exactly the, the exact details. I just remember seeing these prices and going, whoa. Wow. You know, yeah. do, do you buy a car or do you buy one of these paintings? Like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. Yeah. And what I would say there too, Andrew, is... Um, you know, it's, it's partly related to that. In in our gallery, we were fortunate enough to have always something of yours on the wall, at least one thing. And you know, depending on the size and what it was and when it was, um, a substantial price on there. Mm. And people used to come in and look and say, oh, wow, as you, you're saying, I could buy a new car for that or I could buy, you know, da, 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 yeah. whatever. Yeah. And then they look at the gallery owner and say, Gee, aren't you lucky having all this? And I used to remind them, I said, excuse me, it's actually on the wall. There's a price tag. Would you like to give me $40,000 and it could be on your wall? And then I will be lucky. But while it's on my wall, <laughs> it's on my wall. <laughs> you know, the, the, the people, you know, this is the public. It's understandable, quite understandable, because you've got beautiful artwork expensive things it's not just artwork i mean we've had other things for sale uh, objects they are and, and and things like that you know whatever it is because you've got lovely beautiful things that are expensive they just think wow and then we're supposed to be now the millionaires mm. back to how much it cost to open the door and while it's on the wall you're not selling it so your balance sheet does not look as pretty as the wall <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, sure yeah sure and th those things these are all things that you've got to appreciate as an artist and and you're on on, on the uh, on a wheel and you go along and the other thing that i should have mentioned earlier which i, I i'll mention now is um the, the, one of my favorite things i bore everyone with it but it, you never know when you're going to paint the mona lisa so don't do it on a piece of butcher's paper. If you really have, you know, the, your uh, thought of, of yourself as being an up and coming artist or already a good artist, spend the money, buy a high quality, buy Belgium linen, prepare it properly. Don't skimp on your paints, everything. Because if you produce that masterpiece, it is then seen to be on tissue paper bloody thing real real art collectors they look at that they look at the artwork and and we had it all the time you know you had to take it off the wall they want to see what the back looks like they want to see what the what materials in there and and that's right yeah and yeah. and we we used to do that at our gallery because as i say we we um we did framing as well and we liked to think it was in, we were a, a very high graded um, framer mm -hmm. and we only ever bought the best of everything for the frame and because of that what was on our wall we were proud of what was on our wall whatever it was especially the artwork but I'd say it's no good having a wonderful frame that cost a fortune and turning it over and it's a you know a $20 thing from the market, you know, the, the campus. No, no, it doesn't work. No, no. <laughs> Don't waste your time. You know, I, I, it might be the man it, it was It was interesting because I remember my father telling me, and, and also you were very encouraging of this at the time when I first started out, 
I was working on canvas and my father said to me, um, you, you need to go to Belgian linen. And I'm like, why? He said two things. One, because it's better quality, more archival, but two, because it sounds better. <laughs> because, because and, and then from the agent's point of view, you're like, yeah, we now we got something that's a little bit more marketable. We've got mm. something painted with the finest quality materials and it's put together in such a way. And now we're going to give it the best frame we can give it. Now you're off with a fighting chance. And it shows that as soon as it's it, when it's on the gallery wall, that that, you know, amalgamation of processes shows that everybody involved in that exercise cared about it. Great. And um yeah, I, I appreciate that. That that gives you much more of a chance. Yeah, that goes one step further too uh, with stretcher bar. For those the uh, the art field would know what yeah. that is. Yeah. Um, you can buy a stretcher. You know when you well, you know the whole scene. You can buy a prepared canvas. Mm -hmm. You get what you pay for. There's a yes. whole range of them. But a lot of people like to make their own or to prepare their own, and they will buy high quality Belgium linen, and then go and get cheap cheap. Um, pine from the local hardware store, make a rickety stretcher, pull it over, paint the picture and wonder why suddenly it looks like the sea because it's <laughs> wavy in it. You know, <laughs> we and when people came in to stretch a canvas, we only used to use hardwood, very, very high quality, very high quality stretcher bar. That's right. And they said, but I had a quote from Joe Soap down the road there, there was half that price and they used to say, fine. You get what you pay for. Yeah, I'm offering you the best. That's my price. Yeah. And I said, that is the price because it's high quality. Yeah. It's so always stick to high quality. Some people out there will will be thinking no doubt and, and probably shouting at me thinking, Okay, well, Andrew, it's all it's all well and good. Um, <laughs> I can't I, I can't afford the finest quality materials. I mean, my my advice would just be just make the improvements where you can just just where you can and just yeah. gradually step by step once you start making some sales invest in a little bit better paper or a little bit better graphite or now a little bit more a better ground or a gesso and now improve your brushes and now start to introduce some more colors and yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah, Andrew it's, it's all relative yeah exactly. because if you can't afford the, the decent material then you're not selling at a very high level yeah. so what I'm saying is at the beginning as well Invest what you get make from your paintings mm -hmm. into improving your materials as well as your, you know, your style. Mm -hmm. Upgrade at the same at the same speed, because mm -hmm. while you're selling something for two hundred dollars, people don't expect Belgium linen and and hardwood, uh, you know, the the various mm. upmarket stretcher bars. So you can get the paint, get the money, a bit more into the next one. That's it. All the time you're improving. Absolutely. No, very true. Very true. So I, I, this is so far, this has been a, a really fantastic conversation, Colin. I, I've really enjoyed it so far. <laughs> we, and we don't have to wrap it up just yet unless you've, you've got to go. But there's a, a few more things I'd love to ask, if I may. Yeah, of course. Fantastic. So when it comes to this is this is again, and we, we might we might repeat and cover some of the same ground, but I, I I'm uh, curious because I can hear from from your background, you know, your your the the old days and and before you got into the gallery. Can you try and sum up for us in a way 
your personal philosophy when it comes to selling art and maybe what kind of advice, if it was going to be, you know, general advice, if you were meeting somebody who was young that just told you, hey, I want to be an artist when I, when I grow up, I want to be an artist. I'm talking very young now. How would you, how would you impart that wisdom on, on somebody? And what would you say? I know it's a very broad question, (laughs) but depends how young they are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But well, um, thing is, practice makes perfect. Hard work is how you progress. You don't get anything in this life for nothing. Nothing. No free breakfast. No free lunches. You work. You have to work for where you're going. You cannot just sit back and expect the world to, to look after you completely. You've got to put what you put in, you get out. And the more you put in, the more you get out. And the percentage coming out is normally relevant to the amount of work you put in. If it doesn't, then you're in the wrong job, square pig and round holes. <laughs> because if you're really working 26 hours a day and you're still not getting anywhere, mm, look at it and just do it for fun. But if you really, it's difficult. You, It's very difficult. There are very, very few people who make a living out of art when you think about the size of the population of the world. Um, and there, there are a, an awful lot of people who only, let's say, make a living. Um, they, they only do it as a hobby especially here in Australia, um, a lot of hobby artists and some very, very good ones. Good luck to them because they can, it's work in, you know, hard work in, get a reward for it and they get the benefits from it. But to be a professional artist relying on that, huge risks, you still got to live. You still got to have a roof over your head. You have family, you know, you've got to live. So you've got to have a regular income which is very difficult. You never get a regular income with art unless you've got some wonderful, you know, commissions lined up one after the other, then yes, okay, but that's very, very, very rare. So think about that very, very carefully. You know, how far are you going to go? <laughs> and um, when do you feel that you've reached a level where you can be a full-time artist. I, I can, there's very few that here in Western Australia, I think, you know, there's not that many full-time artists. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, I do agree. Absolutely. There are some wonderful artists, yeah. wonderful yeah. artists, but most of them have, have another job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of them have another job. Um, well, this was what I found, you know, working and again, having to handle the volatility in the marketplace, I found I had to have something else to supplement my income at, at times. And even though I still considered myself a full-time artist, I had to pick up a teaching gig and I, I ran my own workshops. But that was a really fortunate thing because I discovered that I actually really loved teaching. But at the time, mm-hmm. you remember when we were talking about it, I was depressed. I was like, now yeah. I got to teach. I got to teach, Colin. I failed because I had in my head the whole time as well uh, words that I'd heard from you pick up crap through life. And I, I had the, that, that saying in my head that those that can't teach. And I thought, well, here I am. I'm in a position where I can't. So they, they've signed the piece of paper that says no more 
buying with superannuation and now there's a global downturn in the economy so uh, now i got to teach and i was taking it all of it personally going i can't so i'm going to go and teach but yeah you're, you're quite right um i think you know it, it it was really important to have something that would provide that stability and balance for me and um mm. I, I still have that today i think that one of the biggest lessons that i learned was diversification Having multiple ways that I can make income off of my art, um, as long as it's art related, I've diversified so many different ways with what I do now that it now yeah. provides that stability. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're very proud of you because <laughs> you finally listened. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while. <laughs> I, I, I'm going back to dear old Tom. I shouldn't say dear old Tom, he's as old as I am. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> Very he's two early. weeks older. He's two weeks older, so he's, yeah, he's he an old fellow. Yeah, he's my senior. I must respect him. He's my senior. Yeah. And I always remember very early in, in our relationship, and he came into the gallery one day, and I always loved it when he popped in just to say hello. And he said to me, Colin, excuse me, I'm going to put on my American accent now. Colin, one thing you've got to learn about Andrew. And I said, what's that? He said, when he walks in here, you get a bloody great big nail and a hammer, and you put through one of his feet because one of his feet have got to be on the ground the whole time and that's your job my boy <laughs> yeah, anyway we we've been through the ups and downs together haven't we Andrew and um and, and also with a little dig to you as well um one must realize that if you if you do manage to be successful um and and you know uh, really successful Think of your future, because not everyone's going to be Monet, who as he got older, he got more impressionistic and his prices went up. You know, that, that, that's one in billions. It doesn't happen like that. That's right. As an, yeah. as an artist um, and as like any professional job, you've got a time limit. You've got a peak. And, and eventually age takes over, history takes over lots of things so you you have got to provide for your future you've got to because you're not always going to get the nice big prices that you might have had when you were 40 you know 50 so think ahead it, it, being an artist you're still an individual you're the same as everyone else it, I, I hate to say it, that's your job you've chosen that as your that's your job so you look after yourself because you've got to look after yourself. So when it's fine, tuck it away. And that's too, is if you're in a level where you, you manage to get in a reasonable amount, invested in something, property, something like that, solid. So that when markets go up and down, you still own your bricks and mortar and a piece of land or whatever it is. Solid, basic yourself as you do in any any profession any job you do but a lot of artists unfortunately live in a different world and, I'm, and, yeah. and its reality is the same reality i'm so glad that you mentioned that because i remember a very a very personal conversation that we had um many years ago when i started to do really well and had commercial success and you'd remember you know back then i was 20 something early 20s and I had no idea what to do with the money. And I, I ended up blowing it. And there was quite a few times where it's like, Andrew, you're 
at this level, you're selling consistency consistently at this level. How can it be that you're now struggling for rent or all of this stuff? And yeah, you know, I was I was just shy of of going. Hey, can I can I? Oh, maybe we did. Maybe we did. I, I maybe I did borrow against one of the paintings that was on the wall or something. I I can't remember. I was down and out a few times there, and it wasn't until later in life. And I'm glad you mentioned this because it wasn't until later in life that I I realized I had to learn about finances. And I got that that same talk from you. I got it from my father as well. I didn't listen at the time. I couldn't listen. I didn't want to. I was like, ah, whatever. It's always going to be this good. It's called um, being young. Well, sure. But I had to learn about finance and, and money. And really, again, I think it all comes back to this idea of as an artist, I think a lot of us, I wouldn't say everyone, because I've met a lot of artists who have got their head screwed on straight. I was not one of those people. But I'd say there's a lot of artists out there who feel that deep down they don't deserve the money so that when they get it, they start shedding it. And they shed it down to their emotional level, to the, to the level where they're emotionally able to handle. And that would be the amount that they see in their bank account. For me, it was zero or just less than zero. So I'd owe more money than I had. And I could maintain that level. I knew what that was like, so I just stayed there. I wasn't in a position where I felt worthy or deserving of receiving. So it didn't matter what was coming in. I would keep shedding down to that bare ground minimum. So that was really important to, to learn because now, you know, since Mary and Rachel as well, and uh, we've just celebrated our, our 10 years together. And... Um, uh, that was was a big wake up call for me, having her come into my life, going, "Wow, I actually need to take care of her and and you know start thinking about family and all that sort of thing as well." So that spurred me on to continue to research this. But I wouldn't have had to go to all those seminars, talks, and books if I had just listened to you. <laughs> <laughs> Hindsight's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> it's great. It's great. But I've been very lucky because I've had you there and I've had my father there as well and a, f and a few other mentors along the way who have been that, that stabilizing factor in my life. We don't like the word happy. We, we like fortunate. Sure. sure. <laughs> I don't know the difference, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, but also what, what, what um, you're saying there too about, you know, um, I forget how you put it, but an artist often downs themselves. You know, the, they... When, when you start talking about expensive pieces of artwork, um, and we've had this, we've had this, even in fact, a bit with you, um, but with other people too, where we get to a price level and they get embarrassed and say, oh, I can't charge for that. You know, I can't do that. You know, I'm, you know I'm, I just do this as a hobby. And say, well, yes, but you're actually producing a wonderful piece of artwork which has a value, and that's value. Don't be ashamed of it. Be proud of it. But... Many artists run themselves down. They say, oh, it's not worth that. Oh, I don't feel like this. Yeah, you know, you must be right. positive. Positive. Get out there. If you produce something like that, enjoy. Enjoy. That's the thing. One thing I'd just add to that, though, Colin, is is I think that by not by not having a handle on that early on, by not placing a value on myself, therefore, you know, of, of course I had your help early on, but by not going expensive enough when I needed to or, or not placing the value on the work, I actually cost myself some sales. I, I'll give you an example. I remember there was one guy who was commissioning a work that 
they wanted to know that this was going to be an expensive painting. And I was like, I was busy in the background trying to cut him a deal. And he was mm. telling me, no. But then it wasn't until years later that I realized, hang on a second. He wants to tell the people at the barbecue how much this thing cost. Breaking rights. <laughs> right, right. And it was the most ridiculous thing because here I'm, I was like, I'm trying to offer it to him for a deal. And, and I'm not listening to the lessons that I've learned about market, but still young at this when I'm starting out. So I'm, I'm trying to work it out here. And meanwhile, he's like, no, 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 I want to pay top dollar know, for this I, thing. I know exactly who you're talking about and what it is. <laughs> right. But, but at the same time, what was the, the word? And, and I've lost the word. It, um, you know about the the artwork it's got to be not epic um uh there's the appropriate word that he wanted your masterpiece uh, extravagant uh, something yeah, uh, yeah. but, but it, it's there is an appropriate word there and yeah. that's what he wanted from you yeah. not a cheap bloody thing he wanted that yeah yeah <laughs> Maybe epic is the right. It's, it's not the right word, but you know, he wanted a, an epic Andrew Tischler. <laughs> we did. Well, but anyway, yeah. You, you let's. Um, I, I, I keep getting reminded here talking to you because I'm, I'm looking into your living room here. Um, you're sitting at the at the table. I'm looking into your living room, and I see behind you. A blast from the past. Uh, what is that rubbish hanging on your back wall, Colin? Which piece? <laughs> <laughs> the one hanging directly well, behind you. Behind me, that, that is, um, it's a beautiful painting of Rotnest. Yeah. In a nice frame, which we made. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's by somebody called Andrew Tischler. Oh, gee. <laughs> and it matches the other one on the other wall, which is uh, the uh, ghost gums up in yeah. the Pilbara. Yeah, up in the Pilbara. So... Um, yeah. And the other wall is two of your very early works. This, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. When I first started, right, right. It, that painting behind you of Rottnest Island reminds me of of the story, you know, about that painting, how that that painting came to be. I was wondering if if uh, we could tell that story, um, because w there was there was a, a, one of our dear clients um, who originally commissioned it. But this is my favorite example, I think, of you wanting to go above and beyond and actually do the right thing by the client and, and us working together to get to the desired outcome. Because she ended up with, that was the one that she wanted, she commissioned. This is one of the only commissions. I think there was only one other from memory that came back. But we always strove to make that right. Do you think could would you mind telling that story about how that yeah, came sure. to be? And 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 it was nothing actually against the painting. It was just not what she had seen in her mind. That's right. And that's very important actually. Is you know um, that this is the danger of commissioning, <laughs> and I'll put that out there to buyers rather than than sellers because. It's like buying a I always compare it with having a suit bespoke tailored. You know, you walk into the tailor shop, you see a dummy with a nice suit on there and you feel this lovely piece of cloth and you say, right, I want that suit in this cloth. So you get measured up and that and you feel good. And when, when it's ready, you put it on and it looks like, <laughs> say, bloody hell, what <laughs> is that? And, and you've just paid yeah. $1,000 for that suit and you never wear it because it's not good can happen with a painting. 
So unless you really know, know what's going on and you get a relationship with the artist, that is important too. And this is where we have worked together well because when we did get a commission, it, it was not just me listening to the customer and telling you, we used to have a three-way discussion between the customer, you and me. And, and so that all aspects of it, and they saw the progress. They knew what they were getting along the way. Um, but some people are too shy to actually come out and, be, and speak about it. But th this particular one was a bit unfortunate because one of the things was the actual um, orientation. Um, it became a landscape painting and she was actually hoping, and, but didn't make it, anyway, it, it wasn't quite the way it was. And, and the fact was that I got out of her and she was and she is a lovely lovely person and she is not actually too scared we had a wonderful relationship she came out and told exactly what it was so we we came to an arrangement where we took back the painting and um spoke to her again and then she she actually uh, recommissioned but something totally different um and because her family had moved to the east coast we ended up with some of the, the 12 uh, apostles, which were fitted where she wanted it perfectly. So instead of one painting, she got three, but it all came out very, very successfully. She was happy, no. everyone was happy, and I've got it on my wall because I'm happy too, because I bought it. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> happy in the end. But I, I just love that as an example of you kind of wanting to do, at the end of the day, it was the customer satisfaction. It was the, it was trying to go above and beyond, go the extra mile and make them feel good about the purchase that they had made. And if something wasn't right, this is a big lesson I learned from you. If something wasn't right, that was your opportunity to excel, to show yes. them what you're willing to do to, to make that right. And yes. sometimes it, it almost had me in, in a sick and twisted way. It almost had me looking forward to problems because I could, I could take those moments and show how quickly I could fix a problem or address what had gone wrong with something to go, okay, here I am to the rescue. There's somebody say problem? Yes. The white charger. <laughs> That's it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so somebody said problem, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready. Let's, let's do this, so yeah. 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 One, one of the things, again, I go back to my commercial experience too, was um, with, um, when you had a complaint, you know, I'm talking general goods now. It it was, as you say, a golden opportunity to get very close to your closer to your customer by working it out. Mm -hmm. And being for a well-established company that had been doing this for years, they said, and in the end, you actually make more out of it because you make a second sale. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not putting that straight to art, but the fact mm. is, it's what you can get from it. By, by doing the right thing, mm. doing the right thing, yeah. Mm. And, and I will say from right from the beginning when, with our, our franchise, the, I mean, we learned a huge amount in a very short time because we, we'd never owned our own business, we certainly had never been in the art business, and we'd never lived in Australia. I mean, uh, the learning curve was vertical, you know, up and down on the graph, and, and still is, I must admit. You know, I didn't even know how to get the telephone switched on in Australia. You know, how do you do that? So yeah. we had to learn everything. And we did learn from that franchise. Yeah. There were certain things. And, and these are the kind of things like 
that one lesson then where we were told if somebody is not happy with it don't let it stay like that because that only leads to bad publicity because yes. every time somebody else sees that painting the bad story goes with it you know i didn't want it really but i had to have it the good story comes out you know i had a painting there and it didn't turn out right you know what they did they actually took it away and gave me another one yeah. so it's a good story instead of a bad story that happens throughout not just with paintings but it is true it is true that mm. uh, and the, the especially when it's something so special and, and often very expensive it's mm. good to be if the person is not happy make them happy make them happy absolutely and it, and it it kind of feeds into this idea that I've had with my art business um, and, and something that I've realized is actually turns out to be mathematically true. So the, the good old 80-20 principle or Pareto's law, where I realized that 80% of my clients that bought paintings already owned a painting and 20% of the sales came from people that were new. And so that told me that if I was gonna have repeat customers, that that was vitally important to make them happy and to go above and beyond. Mm. Mm. Yes, yeah. that's what makes them come back. <laughs> and it's, it's just a matter of interest, Andrew, before I came on air, um, as you know, I was a great paper collector <laughs> I've got files and files and files and files and files and files. That's and right. I went, I went back to the one, that, the big box file that said Andrew Tischler Sales Volume 1. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I hold, I hold in my hand here. Okay. Um, a docket dated the 28th of September 2004. What? Where, and I sold two paintings to the same person and what? the two paintings the two paintings were actually the same insurance agent who brought in the first one to be framed and they bought two and the first one was uh, salmon salmon bay rotnest and the other one was serenity lake matheson south island new zealand so there you are that's where you are now south island new zealand and uh, there it was two paintings and I actually was I, I was trying to get an idea of what the first paintings cost you know so I'm not going to start throwing around numbers but I I'm, I was quite impressed actually for the first paintings that we sold for a young artist they were not a bad price <laughs> can, can, can you give me can you give me an idea of, of, of the price uh, well one was um, virtually a, a thousand okay. <laughs> and the other one and the other one was a bit less, but two together made a very nice sale. I think I think you had a good party over that first check. It bought a lot of beer. It bought a I'm lot sure it of did. beer. Sure <laughs> and and sorry, just to take this one step further, the the very next one was um, you know every painting has got a pic, has got a story, hasn't it? And it was a painting called Fallen Soldiers. Oh my word! Yeah, I remember that. And um, gosh, I remember it went to a guy who had a a, a spa or a retreat. Um, yes, but, I remember. Yeah, yeah. It, an, an ex-postman. It, it was somebody from uh, South Africa. That's right. Who bought it? Yeah. And, and the fallen trees, just for the people listening, it was a forest scene with trees falling down over this little stream. I mean, a magnificent painting, quite a big one. And and he he loved this and um, 
he bought that painting. And strangely enough, although we did not buy back paintings, he actually, for personal reasons, had to leave and go back to South Africa sometime later. And he asked me if he could, if we could resell this painting because he said, whilst I love it, I can, it was a big painting. He said, I will not have a place for this to be. And if you remember, we took it back. And at the time you looked at it and said, well, you know, uh, we sold it to him in, uh, that was October, 2004. And, um, wow. We actually, when, when you got it back, you hadn't seen it for some time. I forget when, when it came back, but many years later, you looked at it and said, I painted that. And immediately yeah. you said, I need to retouch this painting. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and I think you did do a few um, alterations. And um, I, we had it at the gallery. And would you believe our postie bought it? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, our postie was a wonderful guy and he looked after us for years and he came in and he said I've got to have that painting and he bought it wonderful. so you know there's a lovely lovely story and he's still got it by the way because I, I saw him not that long ago Yeah. and the next one was somebody who worked for us the lovely little redhead girl in our in oh our work. yeah 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 she she bought uh, unfrequented heights and then the next customer is the one we've been talking about there yeah who commissioned that so she was our fourth customer um, of your work and that was in may 2005 so okay. they're a bit of history yeah <laughs> yeah wow man that's a but you know it's not that it's not that long ago because i look at it and i mean what are we talking here we're talking now 15 years ago and yeah. and it just time has just gone wham and it's just flown yeah. past uh, but it's amazing wow <laughs> yeah. Well, as I say, that was volume one, and this is one of these big arch lever files, and I've got four of them. So consider yourself successful, my lad. <laughs> well, no, that's Colin. Just what we, that's just what we sold, and I mean, mm. where you know you've you've spread your artwork wide, far and wide, and it is appreciated and enjoyed by a lot of people every single day i mean every day when i walk through here and i look at your art and i think mm, that's that's really nice and we have a piece over our bed as well which is a particularly favorite piece of the the salt lakes on on rotnest that's a gorgeous painting that i will say that you know my success back then i i look I, now the the older i get the more i'm kind of realizing just how many people how many positive influences I've had in my life and just how lucky I am for, for being where I am today. And it's, it's only due to people like yourself, Colin, and I'm not just saying this, mate, you know, mm. it's from the enormous positive influence that you've, you've had in mm. my life and in my career and, and, and gay too. And, mm. and, you know, my father and various people that seem to have shown up on the path, you know, I, I've been yeah. incredibly lucky and I, I recognize that there's a lot of people out there who aren't as as fortunate. And, and I, I'm, I'm sad about that. But the one thing that that I must say that you've inspired me to do, my father's inspired me to do is to take these things that I've gathered and to just share them with people. And that, that's kind of where I find myself today. 
and uh, mm. coming full circle. And when I find myself opening my mouth and offering advice or sending an email to somebody who's asking for guidance or whatever, I find that it's a lot of the lessons that I learned from coming up in the industry, learning from people like yourself. And for that, the words I'm experience grateful. again, experience. experience. Yeah, it's your experience, man. Absolutely. It's what you get as you get older. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, when you say lucky, yeah, it's, yeah, it's lucky, fortunate that you, you come across people who can. But, but don't overlook the, the basic thing, and that, that's your talent. Okay, yeah. it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how hard somebody helps you and shows you the way and helps you along the way. Basically, you've got to have a talent. And you've got the talent. You've got a fantastic talent. You, you know, I mean, it's one absolutely wonderful. And, and that's where you're you're fort you're very lucky. The, yeah. But that doesn't come just like that. I mean, you've got the right genes because your dad, your mum, you know, all those they, they are there. Yeah. They are there. So you've got the makings. But you've you've picked it up and run with it. And yeah. and that is the commendable part about it mm. that, that you've done that. And and that's why where you are now. And um, it's hard work based on you've got the right tools yeah. and you've made them work. You know, you can have all the right tools, but if you don't know how to use them, uh, you can have a funny looking bloody sideboard. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, I, I've really enjoyed this, Colin. I, I've really yeah. enjoyed this enormously. Um, so is there, is there anything that you would like to leave listeners with Perhaps, again, just going back to somebody that's young and up and coming, maybe somebody that feels maybe down and out, maybe somebody that's just experienced their first rejection of going in to approach a gallery. What mm. advice could you offer somebody out there who finds themselves in a position where they're just trying to make this work? The advice, I mean, I think throughout, we've been talking for two hours or so, hopefully they can take that back on board and go back and, and listen again and, and pick out what applies to them. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Am I good? How good am I? Can I be better? If so, what have I got to do? You've got to work at it. Nothing for nothing. In this world, you get nothing for nothing. So assess the situation, plan things, see how it's going to work, then make it work. And if you can't make it work, then take a step back and deviate. I mean, this is life, whether you're a painter or anything else. You, you know, eventually when you're hitting your head against a brick wall, it hurts. So stop bloody doing it <laughs> and get a piece of foam in the place. You know, but so, but I mean, I think what I'm trying to say there is don't flog a dead horse. There's a difference between anyone who's got the slightest amount of, of artistic talent by all means use it and enjoy it i mean there's nothing wrong with every spare minute you have painting for your own satisfaction and and for your family that you know family they all think that you're a monet or a you know and, and you give somebody a piece of your own handiwork who's close to you, they will think it is the Mona Lisa. 
and they will appreciate it and it will make you feel wonderful because you've given it and you've seen how it's been received. You've made money out of it. That's okay. Fortunately, you've still got a job. That's your day work. This is what you do for enjoyment. And you can get a huge amount of enjoyment out of just painting. So don't think that just because you have can end up with two or three pretty reasonable pieces that you're suddenly going to become an artist and start people walk in and look at a painting on the wall for 25,000 and say, oh, I could do that. And I think, mm, can you <laughs> be honest with yourself? No. It's not everyone can do that. Not everyone can do everything perfectly. Not everyone's Paul Getty, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. um, but go within your capabilities and enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. And don't be scared, though, about going along and speaking to somebody, because I think the other side of the coin there is a lot of people who are worthy of being in the gallery are not. You know, you often see somebody say, oh, I've got, I do a bit of painting, and you say, let's have a look, and they pull out the most incredible watercolour or something and say, did you paint this? And, yeah. Mm. Well, what, why are you doing? Oh, I don't think it's very good. Running themselves down again, which artists do often. <laughs> Not the potential. They're scared of doing anything. Well, all right, maybe a lot of these people don't want to go that route, but they enjoy doing it. But but don't put it in the drawer. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> put it on the wall. And let not only you enjoy it because you look at it and say, "I'm proud of that," but let other people enjoy it too. Not everyone can be an artist, and very very few people can be successful and wealthy artists. They are very very few. <laughs> Enjoy the ride. <laughs> well, Colin, I, I've got to say, mate, this has been an absolute treat for me. I just want to thank you so much, not only for, for everything um, and, and helping me to get to where I, I've gotten, but thank you for joining me on this episode of The Creative Endeavor. I've really enjoyed it, and I, I hope that people out there listening have enjoyed it as well. I'm sure, I hope they have too, and it's been great fun. I've been, really enjoyed this. Um, Good down trip down memory lane and bringing back some very, very, very happy and fond memories. And all I wish gallery owners, if they had somebody like you on their, as in their portfolio, they're very lucky. Oh, gee. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Colin. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Well, I really hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Creative Endeavor podcast and a huge thank you to my dear friend, Colin Dixon, for joining me. I'm incredibly grateful to Colin for helping shape me as an artist and also giving me such a background that it helps me navigate the murky waters of the art world today. I hope in this conversation, maybe you got an idea or two or something to take away and add to your own creative practice. Maybe something that will shape your approach if you think about dealing with galleries in the future. Now, if you wouldn't mind doing me a huge favor and taking a moment to rate or review this podcast on whatever audio platform you're listening on, I would really, really appreciate it. It makes a podcast a little bit more discoverable and helps me spread the word and share some of these inspiring stories with other creatives out there. Now, of course, you can always connect with me through my website at www andrewtischler.com. And while you're there, 
go ahead and subscribe. Hit that subscribe tab. It's free to do so. Simply enter your name and your email address, and I'm in touch with my subscribers there regularly. Now, I really look forward to hanging out with you again soon. I've got so many more podcasts on the way. I will catch you again in another episode of The Creative Endeavor. Thank you.